This morning's scripture reading is from Psalm 143. Please follow along in your own Bibles or as the text is presented on the screens. I will be reading from the New International Version. Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. The enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in the darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for I entrust my life to you. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord, for I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies. Destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. This is the word of the Lord. Desiring something more, something deeper. Nothing satisfies or fills this void. Thirsty. I thirst. We thirst. God, we thirst for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. things that we can say, I can say for sure, and um, if you read this, this book, you will know about God, is that he allows things to happen in our lives to create thirst in us. And uh, the, the first way we experience that is that we want him to fix something, right? <laughs> fix my whatever. But the deeper thirst is for God himself. And for us to be fully human is to thirst for God, and that is one of the best moves we can make, is to thirst for God. So uh, I, had a, I had to change uh, what I was going to say right now based on what happened yesterday, and I want to explain that. Hey, thank you. Um, the, um, I went on sabbatical recently, and I've shared that with you, but one of the wonderful things that happened in my sabbatical was that we had a family reunion. And, and I know that, that may sound like, for some of you, I was like, oh, anything but that, right? 
family reunions, you know, they bring up all kinds of things for your different families. I get it. And uh, let me share my story. So we had this uh, wonderful time. I have, uh, there's four of us siblings, and since both of our parents, uh, our parents have passed on, that we, we just made a commitment to have a family reunion every other year. I think, it, I think once a year would be a little too much, but but every other year. And so this year, I think it was the best one we ever had. And I just love it. I love my siblings, and I've grown to love their spouses. And you know how it works. And they have kids, and there's grandkids now. And so there was about 25 of us. We were over in Leavenworth, and we had fun, and we loved each other, and we ate well, and you know, just had a blast. Best one ever. I think we had all kinds of feedback in that way and one of the things that happened there you get to know you're you get connected again and one of my sisters my younger sister said that she was struggling in her marriage and okay so we prayed and okay and then yesterday I I talked I I called her and she told me that she had filed for divorce and I listened to her story of being in a dry and weary land parched land for the last 10 years and you probably you know stories come to mind but and then thirsting for something more and in that was a thirst for God I know it sounds crazy but she was thirsting not just for a better life but she was really struggling trying to find God in this place that she's now in and then I got off the phone with her and I ended up calling her husband my brother-in-law and that's you know I just said why well, I, I didn't know and you know we talked and he is very broken just super broken had no idea how much he'd hurt my sister I've, I've He's driven me crazy for years. I'll just come out and say it. But to hear him be thirsty for God for the first time that I can remember for a long time before God. The real him before the real God. Thirsting. Hurt, broken, all that stuff. But then when I got off of my younger sister, I want to go back there. And this is the part. This was a bad day. She told me that my older sister had just told her that she had filed for divorce. They told each other on the same day that they had filed for divorce. I mean, this is a broken, thirsty world that I find myself in. And in hearing all that and processing all that, I am thirsting for God. And I'm thankful that we're going to have a prayer time after what I'm done here. You know, I'm going to come for prayer. I need, I need God to figure this out. And I want to fix it. But more than that, I need God. I'm thirsty. Okay, I got that out. All right. So we're in this series. This is the second of three, at least for me, very timely. Last week was Psalm 42. This is Psalm 143. Next week is Psalm 63. And they all have this line in them, thirsting for God in a dry and weary land or something like that. And the question that I want to get before all of us, and I think it's a fair question, if we could take the Bible seriously, it's a fair question to ask, are you thirsty? Are you in a thirsty place? You may not be now, but I bet you have been, and I bet you will be. So uh, just figure that out for yourself, and then we'll have a prayer time later where you can respond and come for prayer. So uh, I'm going to walk through this, the presenting problem, the deeper thirst, and then the living water. The presenting problem... Uh, just like last week in Psalm, in Psalm 42, there's two dimensions to it that we want to cover. The first one is found in verse 1, and uh, it's the internal, verses 1 and 2, the internal thirsting or problem that is right before him. And he mentions how no one can stand before God's holiness. 
which is, uh, in other words, uh, there's some kind of sense of sin in his life, but most commentators say it's not a specific sin. It's not like he did something specifically, but he has this general sense that God is holy. He is not, and he's going to depend totally on God's mercy as he comes to him. He's crying out to God. There's nothing that he can do in kind of a show-and-tell way where, God, look what I have done to earn your favor. That It's not going to work. And he realizes that. And that's a very, just a huge starting place for prayer. So he goes there, and he realizes there's a, he's been separated by sin, but God is still merciful. He's made himself available. But then he goes into the focus in verses 3 and 4 of the real presenting problem, which has to do with enemies. And, of course, this language uh, of enemies raises some problems for us, even though if we stop to think about it, we all have some. And, and they come up quite regularly if we're honest about it. So this is the exterior problem. And if I can read that for you, they are crushing him. They are making him experience darkness. Uh, like those long dead, my spirit grows faint within me, my heart within me is dismayed. There is barely a pulse in his life right now. And that darkness, is, is in, it's been internalized, but these enemies are there. So, uh, a couple of things. We're all going to, like I said, we're all going to find ourselves there at some point in our lives. You have been, you will be or you, you are now, whatever, and cancer may be your enemy, financial, whatever it is. It could be relational, it could be anything. A um, couple of things then. The New Testament makes this very clear for those of you who struggle with the smiting my enemy talk. Well, first of all, realize that David, this is David, he never says, I'm going to go out and smite my enemy. He says, God, I want you to do it. So he's triangulating that. That gets a little bit of, the, maybe that helps a little bit, maybe not. But the, better than that, the New Testament says that our enemies are not flesh and blood. It's not other people. Who is it? It's the spiritual forces of darkness that are very real. And don't be naive to think that they're not there. That's what the biblical message is. So our enemies don't, we don't want to think, we want to get those, those thoughts flushed out of us that that person is my enemy. There's really a, a dark enemy, a dark force behind that. And uh, the New Testament makes that clear. But secondly, this, the tone of this, the prayer, not the exact words, but the tone of the prayer is one of deep struggle. And we find the son of David, Jesus Christ, in that kind of prayer himself in the last 24 hours of his life. We find that in the New Testament. So he knows what it's like to thirst. He knows what it's like to have a problem in front of him. So the presenting problem, what we want to do now is go to see how the presenting problem with the enemies actually leads to a deeper thirst. There we go. And the way he starts to experience this thirst is he remembers, in verse 5, the days of long ago, I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I meditate. I think about, here's, here's the phrase that, uh, you know, cliche phrase, but it really does apply. Remember in the darkness what you found to be true in the light. Just go back and see what was true for you when things were going well. And remember what God did for you, the blessings that you have. Remember all that stuff before you got in this dark place. So he remembers that and it brings some hope to his life. Uh, I want to go here just deeper, if you will, and this is this, this, these, these psalms uh, sort of 
they sort of react against anything shallow. They're, they're pretty deep. So if you can bear with me for just a few moments here. And uh, the use of irony and paradox is where we're going to go. Now, the, the first irony that we find is in uh, him remembering God's hand, the, the things that God has done with his hands. In verse 5, all your hands have done these wonderful things. And the word hand in the Bible typically means strength and power and authority. So that's, that's what the, when you see that word, that's usually what it means. And so God obviously has that. That's his hand. That's what he's done. But then in verse 6, there's the irony, is that he says he raises his hands or he spreads out, or, uh, yeah, spreads out his hands to the Lord. He spreads out these uh, ten fingers. Now, are those strong and powerful and great authority? They're, they're, they're just weak. And in fact, it's more of an act of surrender than anything. And you see that his hands go up to the, this God who has the mighty, mighty hand. Now, hands are... Uh, I, I don't know how you guys do. I didn't notice a lot of this in, in worship earlier. You know, I, I'm not, I, I, you know, just kind of let it flow, whatever works for you. But it, I always feel a little self-conscious when I do this. I don't know why I don't feel that way right now. You guys are making me feel really comfortable. But, but you know, I do. I do I, but I do it when I just feel compelled to do it. When I sing the word hallelujah, I have a hard time doing this, you know, because it means praise the Lord, you know, just, so yeah, do it, let it flow. And when I'm in my personal prayer times, it's just something I do in my personal prayer times. It just, it's, it, these hands, this is the work of my hands, these weak hands, putting them up to God's hands, it's a powerful thing. But the irony there of God's hand uh, and his hand. Now, there's paradox as well. I want to touch on a couple of things that have to do with that. In verse 7, oh, by the way, paradox. I need to get a joke in here. I, I apologize profusely if I've used this joke here before because I, I try not to do that. And it, I, I'll say it right up front that puns are truly the lowest form of humor, and I'm going to prove it to you right now. Okay, so we had... There's a little bit of personal side to this story, but we said goodbye this week. Uh, this is another part of my thirst. We said goodbye this week to our son and his wife and our grandson. And my son and his wife just got their doctorates at the University of Washington, and they're heading off to the East Coast, to Maine. And I'm going to stop saying the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Yeah, that's not even the pun yet. Wait for this. So what do you have if you have a a married couple and they both get their doctorates? Have I shared that before? You guys know the answer. It's a paradox. I don't hear any groaning out there. I'm surprised. Yeah, 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 there it is. All right, so here's the paradox. And what a paradox is are two great truths that are both true and they don't, just, they don't fit together nicely. So here it is. It's in verse 7 where he says, I will seek your face, or do not hide your face from me. In, in the Bible, the word face means the essence of who someone is. It's, it's just the, their core self. 
That's, that's, this, this thing right here is associated with that. And to be two-faced, you know, that, that's, or hypocritical, that's, then that destroys all that. But, but to seek God's face, and the, the psalmist here is saying, do not hide your face from me. Well, the paradox is, there's another verse in the Bible found in Exodus when Moses is experiencing God, and he asks to see his face, and God says, no one can see my face and live. How do you, how do you resolve those two truths? And we don't have to resolve them. We can just let them hang there. But it seems to me that God just loves it when people seek his face. But he is gracious enough to not expose too much of his face to us. He gives us what we can handle. And that's what he does with Moses. So there's, but let me tell you an even greater paradox. And this is what I, I really hope you can grasp. And it's not easy, but I'm going to start with a sentence and I'm going to work with it. The absence of God that is felt by the psalmist here, David, is a sign of God's presence in his life. The absence that is felt by the writer is a sign of God's presence. Now that seems like a paradox to me. I mean, and as we, unbra- as we pa- unpack it a little bit, and I think of uh, when I, my wife, there's, when she knows this about me, but I, it, that phrase that um, distance makes the heart grow fonder in a marriage is really, really true. I mean, I don't come home every night and just, you know, throw myself upon her and say, I, I missed you so much, you know. But if I'm away for two weeks, she's, she, you know, she gets knocked over. I'm like the dog that comes in and, you know, pawing at her. No, no just kidding. But, um, <laughs> licking, you know, no. I very, I'm very much, my heart gets, I yearn for, for, for her love. And the further away I am, the more I yearn. Do you see how the absence felt is a sign of the presence of that love. I want to give you one quote here that captures this really well. This is from Judith Haugen, who who writes a book that I really love that I'll tell you about if you ask. I finally came to a point in my spiritual journey where I said, I don't want to learn anything more about God unless I can experience that reality. My life with Jesus was as dry as sand. She's reflecting, but that's... There's thirst there that is being manifested in what she is saying. The gap between what we believe and what we experience is a gap that gets filled with thirst or it gets filled with cynicism, a cold, hard heart, or just giving up on the possibilities of who God might be and the hope that he can bring to our lives. So there's that gap. We all, we all experience it. And the thirst is great. Now, okay, so that's, that's the, the deeper part. I want to go to the living water part. But I want to give you the progression of where we've been. You start out with the presenting problem. And in this case, it was, uh, it was David's uh, problem with the enemies. That, that drove him down deeper into a thirst for God. God used that presenting problem to drive a deeper thirst in his life. And now, where does that deeper thirst go? And I'll make the case that it goes to the living water. But let's just kind of think about this. The, uh, Eugene Peterson has, uh, uh, I actually heard him say this, and it kind of, made, I had to think about it a lot, and I've shared it before, but most people don't really want God. 
they want something from God. Now, before you, if you feel guilty when you hear that, I mean, just join the crowd. We're all, the psalmist did it here with the, with the enemies. I mean, it's just part of life. It's part of our prayers. When you come, you might come for prayer today and you, just, you have something you want God to fix. That's okay. He, 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 but he, he does want something deeper. And so we find in verse 5 here that, that line that my soul is thirsting for you in a parched land. So he does go deeper. And then he finds in verse 8 uh, another word that has biblical implications is the word mourning. Uh, let, the, let the mourning bring me word of your unfailing love. Let the morning bring... Isn't that a great line? If, you, if you're there at night and you can't sleep, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. Grab onto that one. The next time you can't sleep. The word morning in the Bible usually means new hope, new beginnings, new possibilities. It's going to be a new start. We're going to hit the reset button and start again. Isn't that a good news thing? So we have that longing for the morning that's coming in, that's bringing hope of something. So hope is starting to develop here as he gets through his thirst into something else. And then in verse 8, he says, I will lift up my soul to you. I'm going to lift up this broken, thirsty, weary soul to you with these weary hands, these weak hands. Do something, God. And the hope grows. Well, all of this is um, a little bit uh, conceptual, so let me focus in on Jesus Christ here as we close. Uh, we remember that Jesus said something in, to a woman at a well who was looking for water, and he said to her, I am living water. And if you drink the water I have, you will no longer thirst. And he's referring to something eternal that goes beyond the physical water there. So we, we remember that. And we remember that some of these other words I've used that Jesus... Uh, he, when we come to the word hands, which I've kind of given you a definition of, that his hands, he stretched them out on the cross to receive the nails. Why did he do that? Because of his unfailing love for you and me. And the face. Paul says that the glory of God is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. When we see Jesus, we see the glory of God. Amazing. We can handle it. We're not, we're not going to die. We can see it. And we have a composite sketch of Jesus in the scriptures. And then morning, he is, Revelation says he's a bright morning star. He brings new beginnings and new hope to the world. But there's um, a, great, a great paradox, and I want to close with this. And I can't resolve it neatly, but it is a paradox that the one who said he was the living water, the last words that John records in his gospel. So John in chapter 4 says he is living water. And in chapter 19, the last words before he died were, I am thirsty. So how does the person who says he's living water say, I am thirsty? That's a paradox. 
And I don't know, and I, it, but I, I, maybe I can go a different way, a sideways way and say, how did this God who lived eternally and who knew glory and knew perfection and, and uh, did, everything was perfect, why did he choose to come into this world and shrink himself down to become a man like us and then allow himself to be crucified, tortured on a cross? Except the only answer that makes any sense at all is that he has unfailing love for us. Do, and so here's the question. Do you thirst for his unfailing love? And what I'd like to do right now is just lead us in a time where you can process that question. The thirst that you have for God in your life right now. Uh, maybe, maybe there's thirst for other things that have cluttered and the thirst for God is secondary or whatever, but however you want to pray your prayer, I want you to take that card out that you have in the seat in front of you. There's a next step card if there's one there. If you're sitting in the front row, just write it down on your hand. I don't care. Right? Do whatever. But uh, take something out. I'm going to give you a, little, a few minutes here to consider what is your prayer in answer to the question, am I thirsty for his unfailing love. Let's just allow the, a few minutes to reflect. You can write, you can think, and I'll tell you what to do next. Let me lead us in a prayer. Jesus, uh, living water, who knows what it's like to thirst, who became human and became thirsty. We are thirsty creatures. We thirst for all kinds of things in our lives. And you are the only one that can satisfy that thirst. Hydrate us in the dry places, we pray. Give us hope as we thirst for you, our living water. Amen.